Each and every Sunday we gather to worship, but why do we worship the way that we do? I'm Rebecca Garrett-Pace, and this is The Day After Sunday, a look at the why behind the worship. Good morning, Phil. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to The Day After Sunday. Hello, hello. Glad to be back. Yes, glad to have you. Um, So if you are listening to this podcast, welcome. We're glad you're here. We hope you check out other podcasts on our channel as well as worship with us, either in person or online. Um, You can worship with us on our website, wrumc.org. You can also check out what we're talking about on this podcast by catching up on worship from yesterday. It was Lent number two. Um, And interestingly, it was uh, exactly two years since the U.S. effectively shut down for COVID. Yeah, we were, so I was not on the pod last week because I was on vacation actually, and I can say vacation, not a trip because we didn't have kids. It was amazing. First time, and I don't know how long we've done that, but, um, and we kept getting notifications or like, you know, memories or whatever of like, mm-hmm. we, we actually were at the United States women's soccer match against Japan uh, up in Frisco when like the NBA shut down and like, it was like, oh, this is a real thing, you know? Mm-hmm. And so we were getting like memories of all these things of like, this is the last time we did this and the whole world shut down for two years. Yeah. So anyway, yeah. not that it's not still partially shut down, but. Right. Yeah. No, it is weird to think about though. It was, it was Friday the 13th. <laughs> that oh, that's funny. All of the, uh, I mean, like you said, it was, it was a little bit throughout that whole week leading yeah. up to it, but yeah, Friday the 13th was, was, I think, kind of the official shutdown. And then Sunday the 15th was the first Sunday online that began our stretch of whatever it was, 62 weeks online or whatever that we had. Crazy. So I know it was wild. It was, it felt really, really wonderful to have communion together last week. Yeah. And then um, yesterday was a little lower. Like we had several people comment on the, the energy being lower as well as the people. Yeah. Um, I think that was a variety of things. I think uh, it was spring break for several ISDs. Um, It was also time change, which... Yes, it was. Oh, man. Cheers to that. Why is that necessary? I mean, really? (laughs) That's a great question. What is it? Arizona doesn't do it, right? Isn't there one state that doesn't do it? Uh, I didn't think it was Arizona. I thought it it was somewhere in the middle. Somewhere. Anyway, Um, it's ridiculous. Like, we've mm got to move past this. I know, right? It's just, yeah, I was telling, I was telling somebody, I said, you know, the worst time change Sunday I ever remember, I don't remember what year it was, but um, was when I was growing up. And of course, my mom, as I've said several times, was a music minister. Mm -hmm. And so uh, whatever year this was, time change fell on on Easter Sunday. And so we had sunrise service on time change Sunday. So we had to be there at what felt like something like 3 a.m. Oh my gosh, it was miserable. That's Um, terrible. Just terrible. Yeah. But all that to say, yesterday I think uh, there were several people that were kind of like a little bleary-eyed, a little bit, you know, not all there. Um, And and we could feel that, you know. it's We talk a lot about worship not being a performance, but there is an aspect of it that we, the leaders... um, we have a reciprocity with the congregation and we respond to that energy or lack thereof. Totally. And if it, you know, we talk about liturgy being the work of the people and if the people are kind of sleepy, then, you know. The liturgy is kind of sleepy. The liturgy is a little sleepy. And yeah. that's just kind of the reality sometimes. And it's just a good reminder that like the, the body ebbs and flows with the seasons of life. And 
you know, when part of the body is a little, little tired and sleepy and a little bit out of it, like the, not that the whole body suffers, but the whole body is affected by it, I guess. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, and that's not a bad thing. I mean, I think no. we need to acknowledge and just create space for that. It doesn't have to be, um, certainly not this podcast and, and even our own private reflections, they don't have to be always like, Oh, this went well, this went well, this went yeah. well. We can, we can acknowledge like, you know, Hey, maybe, maybe you're listening to this and you didn't get much out of worship yesterday, or maybe, um, you thought it was the best Sunday ever and it was exactly what you needed. You know, it's just one yeah. of those, it's hard to predict. Um, those but are yeah, it was ones. certainly, yeah. it's like, we feel all this way. And then all of a sudden somebody comes in like, Oh, worship was just, it just, just nailed it today. And I'm always like, Oh yeah, good. I'm glad, it, glad it got worked for you. You know, like, yeah. um, there's, there's a little bit of everything <laughs> out there. Right. Absolutely. So yesterday, we focused in on Micah, Micah 6, 1 through 8. And um, I think yeah. for, for a lot of people, that last verse is really the only one of, mm-hmm. of that passage that's familiar, which is the do justly, love mercy, walk humbly. Um, but Mitchell backed up and shared a little bit of the, the precursor to that verse, right? Which right. is Micah, the Old Testament prophet, as, <laughs> as Mitchell so eloquently put it. Um, sounds like a terrible job. He sounds like the worst job ever. Because <laughs> his job is basically just to tell people how bad they suck. Yes. Over that and was... over. And have no one listen to you. And be threatened right. with your life multiple t- occasions. And yeah, it. he's right. It does sound terrible. Yeah, it really does. I'm not sure I envy that either, for sure. Um, Absolutely. And yet we get like incredible, you know, beautiful poetry from from their wailing and screaming and trying to get people to listen you know we end up getting really beautiful words and poetic forms of these words calling people to justice and mm-hmm. and so much of the prophets is that right is as a call to justice and a reminder that like we have wandered and strayed and so aptly aptly put to use this text in the middle of we are who we are this chapter two of our unfold series because mm-hmm. that's kind of the the essence of what we're trying to do is is figure out who we are as human beings and be reminded that we do need to be called back quite often, right? It's like mm-hmm. so often we wander and need to be called back and reminded of of who we not only are, but are supposed to be as a people. We didn't sing this hymn yesterday, but um, what you just said reminded me of Come Thou Fount, which is prone to wander, Lord, I feel mm-hmm. it, prone to leave yeah. the God I love. And I think that becomes a really important part of the definition of sin for us, as Mitchell has said, that sin is a complicated word. It's a loaded word for a lot of people. Um, but if we, if we start at least from a place that yes, is incomplete, but at least it gives us a starting place to say like sin is anything that puts us at the center of our story. And I would add sin is anything that, um, aggravates that, that, uh, wandering spirit that we, we are prone to wander from God and from relationship. I like the way you put that because people often define sin as like whatever separates you from God, mm-hmm. which I think is a bit of a misnomer. Maybe misnomer because right we can't be separated. You can't from be God. separated from God, right? Like we we not only have it in Romans, right? Like nothing you can do to separate yourself from the love of God and Christ. But I like the idea of it agitating the relationship. Mm-hmm. I think that's a really good imagery for what sin has the potential to do for for yeah. us in our relationship between each other, but then also our relationship between God. Yeah. Um. So that's good. I like that. Yeah, it's it's definitely complex. I mean, I think it's important for anything that sin is being such a tiny word, but such a loaded one 
that we, whenever we provide a definition for people, it's always a working definition, right? It's always that asterisk that has like the small print at the bottom. Um, Right. So it's like, you know, may contain tree nuts. It was processed in a facility that also, you know, processed wheat, dairy, eggs. Like, you know, it may contain all of these other things. We're just working on this one tiny little portion of the definition of sin. Right. So I think I mentioned this a couple weeks ago, but Barbara Brown Taylor has that book, Speaking of Sin, and she defines sin as our only hope or the fire alarm that wakes us up to the possibility of true repentance, Hmm. which is such a different way to look at sin, right? That like in in a lot of ways, in the same way that we've talked about like grief and darkness and things like that is not always having to be like, not that sin is good by any means, right? But it it definitely has has the purpose to wake us up, right? To to open our eyes to the reality of like where we have come versus where we could be. Mm-hmm. And that, and the word repent is a very interesting one too, mm-hmm. because um, we think of repent as, you know, sit in dust and ashes, right. And uh, repent of your sins. You're terrible. You're broken. You're fallen. But right. in the simplest definition of that word, repent means to turn or return. Yeah. And so then we get into this wonderful imagery of, if sin is a turning away from God, repentance is a turning back toward God. Mm-hmm. And it can be that simple. And it's that cyclical too, right. because you can turn away and then turn back and then turn away and then turn back. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think that energy that we get from from those definitions is helpful. So this is probably a ch- well, childish, it is childish. Um, sometimes I think of it as like, you know, like when you're a little, there's a little kid and they think they're playing hide and go seek, but really they're just covering <laughs> their own eyes. Yes. Like sometimes that's what I feel like sin is. Like yeah. God's still right there, but you're just covering your own eyes, pretending like God's not sure. there. You know? you know, cats do that too. They like, my cat <laughs> yeah. does that. She like, we have some gauzy sort of see-through curtains in our dining room and she'll get behind the curtains and she'll stay there and she'll like, she'll crouch down and she'll get into a little loaf. And uh, a little she, loaf. she's like, she's like, if I can't see you, you can't see me. I'm uh-huh. like, oh, that doesn't work that way. <laughs> You're very cute, but also yes. not effective. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Cool. No, I think that's that's a really helpful definition mm-hmm. that we can never be separated from God, but that we can feel separated. We can, and that's the important thing, right? Yeah, we can close ourselves yeah. off from that blessed community, whether that's with God directly or with God's people. Yeah, yeah. And so I think what you know, what Mitchell was really trying to get at this week too was that it's not just about personal piety, right? right. That like we put our own hands in front of our eyes, but like the reality is sometimes there are other factors that put something in between us, like our eyes, yeah. shielding our eyes. Doesn't mean that God has gone anywhere. It just means that we we can't see it because there's other factors that may be limiting us too. And he talked about mob mentality, which I think is a really important idea when we look at like um, corporate sin and the idea of striving for social holiness. Um, totally. It, you know, it, it was funny because my mom's been in town for the last two Sundays, which usually she joins us online, but um, she was like, it just felt like it was kind of this heaviness in the room. And, and I think some of that's probably like what you're talking about before, as far as, you know, just the energy being a little lower. But I mean, even when I got up to do the intro to the offering afterwards, I felt like so much of what Mitchell had talked about was really heavy. <laughs> and I stood up and I was like, and we have the ability as a community to do really good. You've raised $2,000 almost, you know, for uh, refugees in Ukraine right, and, you right, know, like, right. And just a reminder, and, and I almost felt like, "Ooh, did I just undermine Mitchell by saying that?" But I don't, I no, don't, think, I don't I did. think so. It was more of just a acknowledgement that you know, 
we, he actually used the word capacity. And I really think mm-hmm. capacity is an important word in this conversation because it, it's a reminder that we do have the capacity to do a whole lot of really terrible things and at the same time have the capacity to do a whole lot of good too. Mm. And we're always living with that, that tension. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm reminded of, of your blog, Phil, that you wrote about, yeah. uh, God, that what seems was so it? long is Putin ago. Evil? Is Putin evil? Yeah. Yeah. Which I think is so apt. I mm-hmm. think no matter where you fall in the political spectrum, it's not about, in this sense, it's not about political leanings. It's about the fact that we are human and human beings have an uncanny knack for um, trying to put people in groups and in boxes, right? right? And so um, that it's not simply personal sin and it's also not simply communal sin, but yeah, that it's this uh, capacity for yeah. good and for evil. Um, I'm also so reminded of like the the quote from To Kill a Mockingbird when they talk about the mob mentality of like mm-hmm. every mob is made up of people, which doesn't say much for those people, does it? I think that's something like the quote. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's it can be very terrifying, but also you you did well to remind us of the good that groups of people can do too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. So let's let's talk a little bit about the music you know like um because when my mom said that i was like well i I didn't feel like the like the folk band songs were heavy she's like i don't know the hymns felt like it just all felt kind of heavy which is funny but yeah um i hear that i mean i think i think you're right i think what you said was right it was certainly the theology of the of the first hymn was not heavy for the beauty of the earth for sure um i think perhaps you know we were responding to the energy like we've already said right uh the last hymn though yes was heavy what wondrous love is mm-hmm. an incredibly deep and potentially dark hymn. Um, and honestly, I don't use a lot of hymns with that theology. I, I try really to choose them carefully and to choose them sparingly. Um, because if you're not familiar with that hymn, What Wondrous Love talks about, um, it's it's an old American folk tune. So, I mean, it's been around for centuries. Um, but it does, the text is pretty, pretty rough. We talk about like, uh, God's righteous frown. We were Mm. sinking down under the weight of our sin. Um, and it's, I mean, there is hope, you know, there is definitely hope. Like, uh, from when, when from death I'm free, I'll sing on, like it does have a hopefulness, but it's, it is this very raw kind of, um, look at personal as well as communal sin in that hymn. Yeah. Um, I don't have my hymnal with me. It's in the sanctuary. But yes, uh, it's number 292. If you have a hymnal at home, you want to look it up, or maybe we can link the text. But I think the text yeah. bears examination more than just the uh, the time it took to sing. Um, but the middle hymn is a setting of Micah 6, 8. Mm-hmm. And so it was, or 6, I think technically 6 through 8, the few verses leading up to it. Um which I thought was cool. I always like, you know, when, when there is a hymn that just directly speaks to what Mitchell says, I always think it's neat to either precede or directly post seed, <laughs> follow, follow up. There you go. <laughs> um, but yeah, so this one talks about what does the Lord require of you? And it is, it is like Mitchell said, a little bit almost cheeky that people are, mm. are, using sarcasm or hyperbole they're like well what should we do should we should we sacrifice a thousand rams should we give you our firstborn what should we do and then we kind of dial in we say like okay let the hyperbole go this is what you need to do it's incredibly simple and incredibly hard to do is 
to do justice, to love mercy and to walk humbly with God. Um, but yeah, it was neat having the choir lead that and the congregation just be able to sit. They often stand when they sing yeah. um, and just kind of receive that text. No, I love it. What was the, we had a song. Oh, is that the, uh, the Psalm, right? Where we ended up almost every song that we used that, that week was. Yeah. Psalm 103. The, well, Psalm 103. That was, yeah. that was really cool. But yeah, I agree. I love it. Whenever you can take a specific hymn or tune and be able to, to apply it in such a way. It, again, it just approaches the, the concept, the theme, the idea, the scripture from a mm-hmm. variety of different ways. And it's a good reminder too, that people respond in different ways, right? Like some people respond better through music and some people respond better through preaching. And mm-hmm. um, I love that we get every different angle that way. Yeah. And fun fact, um, our hymnal and as well as our hymnal supplements, when I say supplements, I mean, you know, the black book the that we have we in sing, our, yeah. yeah, the faith we sing and uh, one that's called worship and song, which the choir uses, but the congregation doesn't have in the pews. There are scripture indexes. And mm-hmm. so you can look up, um, it's especially useful in our 1989 hymnal. You can look up scripture passages and they can give you uh, hymns that are either directly based off of those or thematically hymns that you can go to and flip and see like, oh, does this work? Does that work? So yeah. it's it's more than just a hymn book. It really is a resource for worship. Um, and we don't tend to use the Psalms, the Psalm settings in our hymnal um, in our worship at white rock yeah. uh there's no you know there's no good or bad to that we just don't tend to use them but there are a lot of psalms and there are a lot of spoken prayers um it's just a really rich resource so if you ever get to worship early or you know your spouse has a meeting and you're hanging out after uh just flip through the hymnal because it's really cool to like yeah. to look at all of the different um indices the ways you can look up you can look up by tune name you can look up mm-hmm. by composer you can look up by scripture you can look up by theme um oh and also just alphabetically <laughs> that <laughs> can't forget that, that. But yeah, it's it's really neat to be able to kind of thread that needle throughout the whole service. Um but yeah, talk about your you, children's you, time. You said well, okay, let me do that in a second. You said alphabetically, aren't they usually titled based on the first line of the hymn? Is that true? Or did I make They that are up? usually yeah, it's usually the first line. Um if that's different, if a hymn has a title that's different from the first line, they usually just put it together in parentheses and kind of okay. double list it. Gotcha. Um so for example, a, a hymn we used on Ash Wednesday, uh the hymn name is Confession, but the first line is We Humbly Ask. So it's uh, it's double listed under C for Confession and W for We Humbly Ask. Nice. But yeah. There you go. Good to know. Yeah. Okay, children's time. Oh Lord. Um I, I am not familiar with Aesop's fate. I know what they are, but I've not like read them to the point of having them memorized. So when you started talking about the horse, I was a little bit, I was trying to catch up with you, Phil. I was not really sure where you were going. Well, the, the, the fable is actually much more brief. I tried to like play out the, the, the story a little bit more just to try to draw people in a little bit more. But, um, I also got a text afterwards from Lisa Tishner, who was there with us yesterday in worship. And she was like, um, I think it's pronounced Aesop. Um, but she, her and I often text via poem. So she wrote it in a poem form, Ooh, which is just, okay. um, yeah, I should read it. But anyway, um, you know, the, the more I do these children's times, the more I realize that the, the importance of story and not just that we're in a year long story series. Right. But that that I think kids and probably adults too, um, resonate way better with storytelling and so if I have an idea or a concept in my head, I usually try to find some kind of story that that draws out that concept or that lesson. 
And I just think Aesop's fables or Aesop's fables are really, I actually asked Neil yesterday and Neil was like, I'm pretty sure you can say it either way. And I was like, well, if Neil says that, then I feel good saying it either way. <laughs> um, uh, it just has a lot of really great lessons, right? And they're super short, um, yeah. which is why they're really effective for children. Um, the story that I told was of the horse, right? Where uh, there's a, a groomer and he basically continues like day in and day night to groom this horse. But every time it's time to feed the horse, he sells the oats for his own profit. And finally the horse says, you know, why don't you try feeding me um, so that I can be um, like holy, holy beautiful, right? Not mm-hmm. just like on the outside kind of thing. Um, and the idea behind it is, is that you can look really, really fancy and good on the outside in the way that you, your actions portray yourself and that you can also do really terrible things on the inside, basically. Sure. Like you can project yourself in one way and then not. And so I, you know, it's still kind of more of a personal piety kind of thing. Whenever I was really trying to like map it out and figure out how this ties in with corporate sin. Um, but I couldn't figure out a good story to convey mob mentality to children. <laughs> Yeah. You know what that reminds me of? Uh, and this goes back to what we were talking about with the capacity for good and evil. Mm-hmm. I am reading um, Kate Bowler's new book called Good Enough, um, which is, I think the subtitle is something like 40-ish devotionals um, <laughs> for Lent or otherwise. Like it's If, and if she, you've never read Kate Bowler, she's fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. And so I read her, I read her book, um, Everything happens for a reason, and other lies mm-hmm. I've loved, and I really appreciated that. Um, but in this book, she opens the preface opens by saying, "We fall, especially in Western culture, we fall prey to the um, this perfection vision, right?" And it just reminded me of the your story about the the horse groomer reminded me of that. Like we can put a filter on when we post, or um, yep. we can you know, make sure our clothes are, are ironed and look pretty. Or when people ask us how we are, we can be like, Oh, you know, doing well. Um, but that's not the whole truth. Right. And so this, this good enough book is a real gift to me, um, in a season of Lent where it's especially busy for me professionally, but also just, it's a lot, right. It's totally, we're carrying a lot in the world. And so that's, that's what that reminded me of when you started saying, you know, it's not just about how groomed we are on the outside. It's if we're taking care of ourselves on the inside, um, it reminded me of Kate Bowler's book. Yeah, no, she, she's a brilliant writer and, um, her story is really incredible. So yeah, uh, we'll link to the book, um, yeah. in the show notes. If you, if you're trying to find it, it's a, I haven't read her new one. I just read her, um, what was the first one? It was everything happens for a reason and other lies I've loved. Yeah. Everything yeah. happens for a reason, other lies I've loved. And there's, she has a few more. I've only read that one, but yeah, me too. If yeah. you're if you're an audible person or like she actually reads the book yes, uh, on she Audible does. and yeah. it's it's really good. I listened to that one on a road trip one time several years ago. And um I was at different points in the in the trip, it was about seven hours. Um, I was like sobbing as I was as I was driving. I was like, I think I need to pull over. But then I was at other points laughing hysterically. Hysterically, yeah. totally. It's she's <laughs> incredible with the ability to do that for sure. Yeah. So anyway, that's that's where I was on that children's time, and um, you know, I think I told you before we started recording. I, I I even feel like I got kind of lost in the story, and I was trying to figure out like how do I put a bow on this and wrap it up. But um, it's the same thing though. You know, even like we had about half as many kids as we did the week before, and so mm-hmm. I even think that energy was different. Totally. Um, and so it's just it's just funny how that it does play on us as the worship leaders. So yeah. 
Yeah. And just to close us out, you know, if you're continuing to use your unfold journal, which we hope mm-hmm. you are, um, that, that can be good enough too. That doesn't have to be perfect or it doesn't have to be all or nothing. So I'm finding, I actually realized yesterday, um, the last several weeks that I have answered the, how is it with your soul question mm. distracted, made its way onto that list. Yeah. And so I just started wondering, you know, for some people it's really helpful to write in the moment and I am a note taker in the moment. Um, but I started to wonder like, is there a time during the week between Sundays where I can revisit it and flesh out some of my notes that I jotted down um, and use that creative page. And so if you're listening to that and you're you're feeling similarly, that uh, maybe setting aside some time during the week would be a good challenge for you to, to utilize the journal, not just with worship notes, but to return to it when you're in a less distracted place than maybe Sunday morning affords. So I'm glad you brought that up because... Um... At the very beginning of this, we talked about creating like like covenant groups. How is it with your soul groups? Mm-hmm. And we never had an, enough to fully launch those. Like basically, it would have been a couple online and a couple in person, which we probably mm-hmm. could have done just a few people. But um, well, actually, we're probably going to do it just a couple people. But I'm going to give this push. Like if you want to join, we're going to launch those this week. I think and just you know if it's two people in a group, great. Like they can just work that out themselves. But, um, if you, if you want to sign up, I'll drop a link to that also in the notes. And then, um, we'll, like I said, I'll probably launch them. Some of them people are going to meet online. Some people are going to meet in person and some people are going to meet more kind of like a Facebook group mentality where it's just kind of a asynchronist um, conversation that continues out <laughs> through the week or whatever. So, um, I'll drop a link for though. If you want to sign up to be a part of a covenant group that really just dives into that, how is it with your soul question with other people? Cause I know that I like like journaling is helpful for me, but if I have the ability to really talk something out with somebody else, then it, it takes my my internal processing to kind of that next level. So, mm-hmm. and I would also say, you know, just be there are several things on the horizon, um, mm-hmm. and so we might, you know, if you if you've expressed an interest in a covenant group, um, and we don't end up having enough to get them off the ground, be um, you might get an email from one of the staff saying, hey, uh, this particular thing didn't work, but we're starting this new thing. Would you be interested? Mm-hmm. So we may there may be a little bit of pivoting. And so sure. we we invite you if you're listening um, and you're interested in connection. There's going to be there's going to be a lot of different opportunities for connection more broadly, yeah. I think. So, yeah, it's going to be a good good several weeks. Yeah. Hence, here we are in Lent, right? Yeah, here we are. All right. Well, thank you for joining me. Thanks for listening. And as always, if you have questions about the why behind the worship, please don't hesitate to shoot us an email. And we look forward to seeing you next week. That email is worship at wumc.org? Yes. All right. See you all next week. Take care, everybody. The Day After Sunday is a production of White Rock Media Network. Join us next week for another look at the why behind the worship.